Welcome everyone to today's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. Boy, have we got a big week ahead of us. Um, there's a bit of movement in the market that I want to talk about this week. But first of all, if you are listening to me on any of the podcast forums, then I really want you to get across to my website, which is iloverealestate.tv, so that you can get all of my slides. I've got a lot of charts to share with you this week to show you what the real data is. Because you see, unfortunately, on the media, the mainstream media, you don't get the full picture. You get a sensationalized idea of a snippet of what's going on. So my website will give you all of those things. Uh, and if you're listening to me on YouTube, then make sure that you subscribe so that you get the updates coming to you all the time. And also, I'd love you to give me some, some love hearts or some thumbs up or some comments or whatever else that you'd like me to be able to cover for you in the weeks ahead. So let's get into the masterclass. All right. Now, this week, we, I want to talk about units. Now, I don't normally talk much about units because, um, you know, you can't do anything with them unless they're an old one, you renovate them, you've got no control, da-da-da-da-da. I've gone through that a million times. But I, there's a bit of a surge happening in the unit price market. I want to explain that for you. Um, well, I want to talk about why prices are rising in the fastest rate that uh, we've seen since the 1990. Now, I'm not talking about house prices here. I'm talking about food prices and petrol prices, although we may actually have the worst behind us. And why unemployment is the lowest we've seen in 48 years, while wages still remain pretty ordinary. We haven't had the increases that uh, everyone would have expected. We've had some, but we haven't had enough yet. So there's more to come, and I'll show you the percentages that are likely. And the big story of why units underperformed housing in a big way through the pandemic, but it's now time for those um, those units to actually catch up. So there's, there's quite a bit happening in that market. So let's get into it. First up, why everything is costing more? Well, the inflation data is picking up, although not too, uh, not too dramatically. I mean, you might think so when you go and fill up your car or go and buy a lettuce or a tomato, but uh, in actual fact, it's, we, we seem to have the worst behind us. What we're seeing is the, um, you know, the, the inflation rate the rate at which it's going up has actually started to slow. So that's a good thing, provided we see that again through the next uh, few months and into the next quarter, because the, the big quarter of inflation rises was actually March. And that's when the RBA jumped on board and started to, um, you know, they started to, to rank up the, uh, the official interest rates. Well, uh, they're doing it, they're, they're still doing it, obviously, but the rate of inflation um, is starting to slow. So that's a good thing. And I'll talk about why it's actually happened as well, because I think if you understand it, you'll, you'll be less, um, frantic about the fact that food prices are going up and cost of living is going up and everything's going up because that's all you're hearing on mainstream media. All right. So inflation at the moment is sitting at 6.1%. Now in March, it went up, uh, for the March quarter, I beg your pardon, it went up by 2.1%. And in the June quarter, it went up by 1.8%. So you can see there that it started to uh, to come off the boil a little bit. 
Uh, and if, as I say, if we see that trend continuing, uh, we may see some easing in the interest rate hikes that we're seeing with the RBA. The RBA is being very aggressive. It's going up 0.5% at a time at the moment. Um, and as usual, what they normally do is they overcook it. So they they bring it up too far and then they have to actually bring it back a little bit or wait a long time uh, before they uh, before they they start to increase again. So that's that's kind of the the run that we're in at the moment. So this shows you that the um, you know five decades of Australian inflation. So you can see they're fifty years. Now, although we got up to this level of inflation uh, when GST was introduced in uh, 2000, we only sort of got there and then it quickly came back down again. The main place where we've seen inflation like this is the 70s and the 80s, right through to the, uh, you know, about 1992, which is when we saw inflation start to come down again. We had the recession, we all had to have all the rest of it. So there's a long period of um, of inflation there and much, much higher than we have now. And if you go back to the 70s, inflation was actually up over 16%, which is kind of incredible. You know, we're whinging about 6.1%. Imagine having a 16% inflation rate. That's actually what Russia's got at the moment because of all the embargoes and everything else going on. Um, when we look at the um, the trimmed mean inflation, we're actually sitting at around about 4.9%. Uh, but again, you know, we, we tipped up to that when we had uh, GFC uh, and then again when we had the uh, introduction of the CGT. This is the thing as to why we're all feeling it and why the consumer confidence is so low. It's because... Uh, when we look at discretionary spending versus non-discretionary spending, it's actually non-discretionary inflation that's gone up. It's our petrol. It's our food. Have a look at this next chart. You know, it's it's um it's our it's our housing. Obviously, we've seen that through uh, through 2021. We saw a massive increase there. Health, I think, is a little bit of a furphy. I think that's due to price gouging, personally. I think the health insurance funds are, are in their price gouging. Um, they're complaining that they've got so many payouts through through COVID and other things and they need to increase their, their health insurance premiums, but I think it's price gouging. Petrol's obviously gone up. Um, we've started to see a turn in the world petrol pricing, so that may come down slightly. Uh, and food, food is seasonal. Um, but uh, we've also had a lot of floods and other things, and we're not importing as much from overseas countries, which I think is a good thing. You know, if we're not importing, then we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're spending our money in Australia. And even if it does cost a little bit more, um, it's much, much better for our economy. And the money goes round and round and round, and we just do better out of it. So I've got no problem with that. The one that's gone down <laughs> is women's clothing. So there you go. Go out and spend up big on women's clothing. <laughs> Guys, buy, buy some stuff for your women. So there you go. <laughs> if we have a look at the next chart now, um, I want to talk now about the difference between goods 
uh, from an inflation perspective and services. Now, uh, you can see here that it's the goods that have actually gone up the most rather than the services. Services, uh, you know, have, you, you can see there where they've, they've gone up, obviously, but it's the goods that have actually gone up. Now, a lot of that is due to the supply bottleneck. Um, and because we've had slowdowns through COVID, uh, that's caused a lot of flow-on effect into our goods market. Services took a hit, though. Now, services took a hit in uh, through COVID because, you know, from goods, we could still order over the internet. We could still do all of the, you know, the, the normal shopping. We just had them delivered and those sort of things. Whereas services, that did take a hit. You know, you couldn't go and get your hair done in a lot of places in Australia. You couldn't go and, and um, you know, do a lot of the, the normal maintenance and things that we would normally do in a services basis. So, those types of things have uh, have just had a bit of a, an increase now, and you can see there they've come up pretty sharply of late because uh, you know we're back to normal, we're all open, um, we're living with COVID and all those other things. Now the world commodity prices have started to come off as well. That should start to filter through. You see, what we're seeing now is the commodity prices for food, like barley and sugar and wheat and corn and all the rest of the stuff that we, we have in the commodities price index, um, and also uh, even petrol has started to come off the boil. So they're not increasing anymore, and they're kind of bobbing around at this, this level. In some cases, they've actually started to come down. So what that means is that, again, we've probably seen the worst of the inflation hikes. So let's just have a look at those two markets. If we have a look at crude oil, you can see there it's actually come off. So it peaked there in about um, May and then has started to come off the boil into June and into July. Look, I do feel that the crude oil price, obviously the the Arab nations have um, have the monopoly there and can set the world oil, oil prices. They kind of took a bit of advantage over everything that was happening with Russia and the Ukraine and everything there. Um, but it's, you know, I've, Biden went over there recently and had a bit of a chat. And uh, as such, he was, um, you know, I, I think the oil prices have started to come down. I think there's some back end deals that have been done there to bring down the uh, the world oil prices. My opinion, we'll see what happens. Um, this is the international wheat price. Obviously, that's come down. So we start. These world prices have started to have an impact, and they will filter through to Australia. Now, even though we are a producer of wheat, um, and it will affect our balance of trade, what it means is that flows through across all the commodities. And wheat's just an example of all the other commodities, and that means that uh, inflation will start to come off a little bit as well. If we have a look at this chart here, this is the um, financial markets inflation expectations. So they expect inflation to come back to something more normal. Um, and, and this is, you know, if the, the global trend continues and it filters through to Australia, it would mean the RBA is likely to halt its hiking cycle. Now, the bond market data, which is what you what a lot of this is underpinned by, are confirming their expected inflation to normalize to normalize soon and are not concerned about a runaway inflation. And I think that's very good news 
for uh, for world markets generally. Uh, because, you know, we're only a small part of what's happening around the world. We've got our own little bubble here. Um, but the, uh, when, when the world trend starts to go in that direction, it's a good thing. And look, that's to be expected. You see, we are, we, we are basically in a, a traffic crash. Imagine this. And this is how inflation kind of works. And this is how, how COVID is like a traffic accident. You see, what happened was um, COVID happened. Now, consider COVID a traffic smash. So cars get smashed up, they block the road, everything slows, you get these massive long queues like you see here in my picture. And when the, when we could relate that to COVID, we had factories shut down, we had shipping lines shut down, we had aeroplanes shut down, we had all of our goods and services and everything else in lockdown, not just in Australia, but right around the world. And consequently, that was like the traffic smash. We had a car crash. All of this backed up traffic is what we're getting through now. So whilst most of the factories are now open, although China's still doing its you know, zero policy business over there, which does affect the rest of the world, um, as that filters through and it starts to come back and we start to open up the factories and they start to produce and all of these other things and the microchips get cheaper and all the rest of the stuff, that's like clearing the traffic because it takes a long time. It takes hours. When you've had a traffic smash on the road, on a highway, it takes hours to get all of that, that uh, traffic flowing freely again. Well, put that in COVID terms, it takes years. And that's what we're filtering through at the moment. The COVID car crash happened, and now we're dealing with trying to clear the traffic. And uh, it's starting to, starting to filter through. Obviously, part of that is the inflationary effect because, you know, we, we've got a, a shortage in supply because we didn't have those factories open and everything else. Well, now we're seeing, uh, you know, we're starting to see that clear and slowly the traffic's getting faster and faster and we'll get back to free-flowing traffic very, very soon, hopefully. But I hope that analogy really helps you understand why we're in the situation that we're in now and why there's no need to panic. It's a normal reaction to what has happened. COVID happened, shutdowns happened, and it takes time to get back to a normality of free-flowing trade and everything else. And that's what our economy runs on. So my overarching message here is stop panicking. <laughs> you know, mainstream media is out there hyping it up like there's no tomorrow, but there's really nothing to panic about. The, the free-flowing traffic will resume. Let's get on to another topic. All right. We've got the best jobs market in 50 years, but wages haven't increased quite as well as they could have. So unemployment is at a 48-year low and job ads are through the roof. However, wages haven't picked up yet, which is unusual. You see, our unemployment at the moment is sitting at 3.5%. Now, it dropped in June from 3.9% down to 3.5%. So that is very, very low. And when you look at this chart here, you can see that with the exception of, um, you know, a little bit down in, in December and then a little bit down for June, job ads have been up for every single month. So month on month, we've seen more and more job ads. 
when we look at the job vacancies, like how many jobs are available at the moment, it's five four hundred and eighty thousand jobs. Well, guess what? How many people are unemployed in Australia at the moment? 500,000. So if we had everybody that was unemployed take up the jobs that are actually sitting there, we'd only have 20,000 people unemployed. Isn't that incredible? But obviously that's not going to happen because, you know, there's a mismatch in jobs and a, you know, a computer technician doesn't want to go and pick fruit and, and all of this kind of stuff that we see. And, you know, so a, a, a training is doesn't match up. So you've got somebody who's a, I don't know, an IT specialist that, it, you know, they can't take up the job as a brickie, but there's a brickie job there to be had. And this is the type of mismatch that we're seeing. So there's going to be some retraining. It's interesting when you look at the types of jobs that are available. Now, obviously, there's a big, 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 big surge in internet jobs. Look at that. Look at, you can just see how, how the internet jobs have surged and gone crazy since 2020. That's been a big growth area. So if you've got kids going through, you know, their, their last years of school or whatever, IT jobs are definitely in demand, not only in Australia, but right around the world. This shows you the change in uh, rate of job mobility in industry. So it's actually, um, in the professional scientific and technology services, they're the most mobile. Now, what I mean by mobile is that they change jobs more frequently than other industries. So they swap and change between jobs more more frequently. So if we just go back to this chart, uh, it's all the professions that change job more, jobs more frequently. Um, we've got wholesale trade, financial and insurance jobs, pretty, you know, a pretty fluid. Manufacturing's kind of fluid, retail's kind of fluid, um, arts and recreation, healthcare. Uh, I'm most surprised to see that as high as it is, actually. I think a lot of that has been driven by um, a lot of the aged care workers getting sick of their employment and trying to change into something else because they've had it absolutely hammered and the nursing staff have been hammered uh, over the last few years. So if they had an opportunity to change into a different profession, a lot of them are actually taking it. Uh, accommodation food services starts coming out. Fishing, agriculture and uh, forestry. Well, that's always been a transient uh, type of industry. Interestingly, construction is quite low. I would have considered, uh, thought that that would have been higher because um, they can move for more pay because construction industry, there's a lot of uh, demand in the construction industry. And you can read the rest there. The one that's gone negative is mining. So there's, though, uh, there's less movement in the mining industry than there was a year ago. Uh, let's just go back to uh, the underutilisation. What this shows here is that wages, now those two lines, as you can see over history, pretty much run up and down together. Um, and that's the private sector wage price index and the underutilisation rate. At the moment, there's a big divergence. You see that? There's 2.44 to 9.5. Nine, so there's a big divergence there, and the expectation. Um, oh, sorry, that is that's not nine point nine. Nine point five nine is the difference from bottom to top, um, but the difference between two point four four and about mm, four something uh, shows that there is a big divergence. Now, what that means is that wages are likely to go up even further, at least two and a half, possibly 
up to a 5% jump. So that's what we can expect ahead. Now, that's obviously going to feed into inflation still because that flows through every industry. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, that's that's what's happening. It's playing catch-up because we've had very, very low wage growth for a very, very long time. Okay, let's talk about units, shall we? Units to come in from the cold. Units have underperformed housing in a big, big way through the pandemic. However, some factors might support unit demand going forward. Uh, And there is evidence of a pickup in the unit demand. Check out this chart here. Now, what we're seeing here is never has housing price to unit price premium been more extreme. Now, again, these normally go up and down in the same kind of line. Look at the difference between the red line being, um, you know, your your regional markets and the combined capitals. There's a big, uh, the median house price premium relative to unit prices. So unit prices have remained relatively low, um, whereas housing has actually, uh, you know, picked up substantially. This chart probably shows a little bit better because you can see there the red line being the, um, the house price. And the perp, sorry, the, the bluey coloured line is uh, the unit price. And there's a big divergence there. Whenever there is a big divergence, we normally see um, house prices come down, unit prices go up. Now, this is, this is also being shown in the searching that is happening. So this is from, you know, um, RP, uh, not RP data, from realestate.com.au. They monitor how many people are searching different things. And through COVID, there was a bit of a trend. And that trend was to have bigger housing because they wanted an office. (laughs) They wanted a home office. So no longer was a two-bedroom apartment kind of the accepted anymore. They wanted a three-bedroom apartment or a house. There's obviously a lot more houses with three bedrooms than there are apartments. So there was this trend back to housing. And uh, there was a massive search there for three-bedders particularly. And because it's not four-bedders, it really shows that it's a movement from apartments into housing. The other thing that happened during COVID was that the investor market came back a bit and the traditional, not us, of course, but the traditional investors in the, uh, you know, for the negative gearing and all the other stuff that we don't approve of, um, typically go for an apartment because it's easy care and all the rest of the stuff, but they really don't know what they're doing. However, that pulled back. Um, so, uh, you know, we had a big drop in, in investor activity that started to pick up again. So again, that's now looking to give a little bit of a surge to the apartment market again, because remember we and I love real estate are a very, very small, uh, drop in the ocean compared to the big investor market that's out there. And most of them, uh, invest for negative gearing, even though it keeps them in their jobs, it keeps them trapped. Uh, forevermore, and there's there's no way that they can retire when they keep going through the negative gearing road. However, that's not us. It's okay. It's a it's a force that's out there, and we need to understand it. Okay. Now this chart here shows across the uh, the capital cities, um, house price premium is most extreme actually in Canberra and in Sydney. Well, that's no surprise. Canberra's picked up substantially. Canberra normally runs behind um, Sydney, but it's really taken a massive surge in the last uh, last little while. So um, Sydney's always up there and there's a front runner. Uh, Brisbane, again, has taken a massive surge. Adelaide, too, uh, mainly for affordability and a bit of the 
tree change, sea change, all of that kind of stuff that happened through COVID. Melbourne, because of all of its lockdowns, performed very badly. But Melbourne's a very strong market, so I would expect a lot of strength to come out of Melbourne in the years to come. So this chart here is looking at where the house price premium uh, in t- extended the most throughout the pandemic. Um, it's inner city Brisbane suburbs. So where we've seen the the most um, dramatic increase was actually there in that uh, that yellow line, which is inner city Brisbane. Inner city Melbourne took a dive, but they were oversupplied. Sydney took a bit of a dive, but again, they're oversupplied. And both those markets are driven by overseas um, students. So uh, the student market, you know, takes up a lot of that inner city apartment. And of course, through COVID, they, a lot of them went home to their original countries and uh, the unit market, particularly in the inner cities, really suffered. Then you have Adelaide. Adelaide's a soft market for inner city anyway. And Canberra, surprisingly, came off. Um, Canberra's normally a very good market for, uh, you know, for units. But anyway, it did come off over the, the pandemic period. Um, and this is that, uh, this is just showing you the inner city suburbs, the premium paid for housing, uh, is most extreme and has increased most through the pandemic. So closer to the city, closer, better suburbs. Basically, it's premium. What happened with COVID is there was a shift towards premium. Now, premium is closer to the city, middle rim suburbs, closer to the beaches, closer to uh, views, better locations, basically. So all of that has now transpired through the markets and they're the markets that have really taken off the most when we look at, um, at what happened through COVID. Interesting though, there's started to be a bit of a pickup in uh, overseas people looking for rent. Now, this is what I've been talking about. Now, they typically look at apartments. This is the trend that I've been talking about for months. As soon as we open up those borders, and typically we take in somewhere between 200,000 to 400,000 new people every year into this country. That's our migration typical target. And uh, we haven't taken in any for the last two years. We've just started to open up slightly. Now, uh, as soon as this this gets back to a normal intake of, of permanent residents coming into Australia... That is going to surge pricing, particularly in Sydney and particularly in Melbourne. And that again, you know, it'll start with the rental market and it'll start with the rental market in inner cities, Brisbane, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, but Brisbane just to a smaller extent. Um, and then it'll flow through to housing because the people are coming in well cashed up. They want to rent initially to find out where they want to live and what they want to do and all of those sort of things. They're coming in cashed up. They're coming in skilled. And uh, you mark my words, when this happens, when we start to open up those borders in a in a normal fashion, I'm not talking extreme. I'm just talking normal. We are going to see a massive surge in pricing and it will start with the unit market. Um, they're the rental listings. You can see rental listings are down. We've been talking about this forever. That's why prices are so high in the rental markets. And this is the demand for unit uh, rentals has actually increased a lot more uh, than the demand for housing rentals in metro areas. And that's to be expected. A lot of the renters prefer the apartment living as opposed to the house living because they've got to maintain things. Um, but uh, And that's why we've seen such a surge right across the board. And you can see there the cities, um, you know, the unit market is at like 108% demand. So there's more demand for rentals in Sydney than there is supply. 
um, the same 147% for, for units in Melbourne now. So the times have actually turned. Uh, Adelaide's at 115. My goodness, that's, that's totally off the charts. Um, Perth running at 39, Hobart at 12 and Canberra at, oh, uh, Brisbane at 80 and Canberra at uh, 20%. So it's only Darwin that started to go backwards. And look, that's understandable because they've now opened their borders. So not everybody has to live in the Northern Territory to work in the Northern Territory. You can fly in, fly out now. Northern Territory is obviously a big mining area, both offshore and onshore, and consequently, um, you know, the people are going back to wherever they lived before and are doing the fly-in, fly-out. So that's totally understandable when we talk about uh, Darwin because they've opened up those borders. This just gives you an updated uh, price cap there. And the um, see, one of the things that happened as some of the boosts is the... Um, the um, current incentives that the government has and they've lifted their caps uh, to be able to get that incentive so what it means is that in Sydney now in the apartment market or the unit market there are 52% of suburbs that actually qualify for that government assistance only 32% when are we talking about housing um, Brisbane, 54% for housing, 96% for, for units. Um, Melbourne, 32% for housing, 71% for units. Uh, Perth is sitting there at 57% and 80% for units. Adelaide's sitting at 54 and 93. Um, Hobart is 42 and 29. See, you might find that surprising, but the caps for, for Hobart were much, much lower. And then the ACT is only 11% of suburbs. Uh, for uh, houses and only 44 for uh, for units. So you can really see how much of an impact the rises have had there, particularly for Canberra. Canberra's gone crazy. It went catch-up and then it went over-catch-up. Uh, the unit uh, unit inquiry volumes have surged 21% in the first quarter of 2022 compared to the same period in 2021. So it's units that the... Uh, that uh, everybody is, as I say, is jumping on the bandwagon for because of affordability, and that's really what we're seeing here. And you can see there the increase uh, in uh, unit inquiry volumes from real estate agents for, from investors, and that's what I was saying before. Most investors, albeit not the right thing to do, uh, will jump to an apartment as an investment as opposed to a house, which has land that you can subdivide, that you can do things through. It just makes no sense to me at all. But anyway... You can turn it into positive cash flow, all these other things that you can't really do with an apartment or a unit. So anyway, that's my that's my spiel. Look, I've got a thought for the week. Small changes eventually add up to huge results. And I've got a bit of an analogy here. Remember, big doors swing on little hinges. <laughs> when you think about that, um, I'll leave you pondering that because it's the little steps that make the difference. If you can make, make one small change today that takes you closer to your goals, eventually you're going to get there. So just remember when you're feeling a bit flat and you feel that, you know, you're not getting ahead as fast as you'd like to, remember those little hinges, you know, all those little steps are holding up, uh, you know, big, big results. So to that end, I'm offering you a 30-minute real estate breakthrough session with one of my advisors for free. Now, it's important you go with your goals. All you've got to do is click on the bits below if there's a link there or go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. 
and uh, book in for one of those times because it'll really help you take those little steps. What's the next thing that I need to do? What do I have to do after that? Really start to put those goals into place. Make sure that you go with some idea of what you'd like to be doing. How do you want to live in two years' time? How do you want to live in five years' time? Because if you can have that pretty clearly in your head when you're talking to one of my advisors, they can help you with the incremental steps to actually achieve that. So that's why I'm offering these free consultations. They're 30 minutes long. Um, They really are advantageous for you. All you've got to do is go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. So guys, I hope you have enjoyed the masterclass for this week. And as I say, give me some thumbs up, give me some hearts, give me some comments on what you'd like to see me do in the future and things like that. I hope it's helping you because when you make better decisions, you get better results. That's my aim. So thanks for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye now.